Mosaic, welcome. Hi, I'm Scott Page, and we are glad to have you here tonight. Man, when I look across the room and see all those eyeballs staring over the mask at me, I am thankful to have you here with us tonight. Those of you that are, that are back at home, we're happy to have you with us as well. And those of you that are going to view over the week, we're happy to have you as well. It is just a blessing to be together and worship 
the King of Kings, together tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking about Will. Will Blanchard's going to be talking about a movement that can't be stopped because of faithfulness. And as we gather here together as one spiritual community, being faithful to come together and worship, it's a gospel that cannot be stopped. Tonight we sit underneath the teaching, underneath the worship, and hear the good news, and I'm excited. I cannot wait. I hope you are as well. You know, if you're new, we want to connect with you. If you feel disconnected and isolated during this time, we want to connect with you. So you can see these different ways to stay connected right now, whether it's by the news or if you're new. So please, make sure that you're staying connected right now. That is important and vital to us as followers of Jesus and as people that are within this spiritual community right now. You know, as I look across this room and I see all of you, I think of life change stories. I know so many of you, and I, and I hope to get to know so many more of you. But I just think about all of the life change stories and how, how God has moved in our midst. And I think about my friends, Carl and Cheryl Kimbrough. And you see the, the picture on, on my right now. That was, that was them when they were empty nesters. They said there was a brief period in our life of about two years when we, had, we thought we had it made on easy street. The kids were out of the house. We were empty nesters. You know, we were just working a job and going to church. Things were just, we were right where we were supposed to be. And then something hit. Our son was arrested and went to jail. Tragedy struck. Now, I'm not going to say, so that's what happened to Carl on the left. Because really, the, the picture of Carl on the left is the last few days. When, when he left a job of 23 years ago, or from 23 years, because he wanted to invest in the ministry that God has called him to. He wanted to work a little bit less so he could invest in the in the life that God has called him to. Let me fill in the gaps between these two pictures for you. Here's the gaps. His son, their son goes to prison. Crisis strikes. Brokenness strikes. We talk about all are broken, all matter, one gets the glory. Brokenness happened in the Kimbrough household. And they just showed up here at Mosaic. They were loved on. Their granddaughters were loved on for about a year. They got involved in, in a small group that was simply for grandparents who were now acting as parents. And they were in that group for about a year or so. And the people that were leading that group said, hey, we're going to go and start another group in the south. We need you guys to lead this in the north. And they said, we feel like we just need to be faithful. We need to do this. So they stepped in and became the leader of that group. And then one day, because Carl's son was in prison, he, he sat and, and 
sat down with a man that was in and out of prison, just trying to help him through things. Because Carl was very successful at his job, so he wanted to say, hey, I've got a story to tell you and help you out. And Carl said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shut my mouth and forced me to listen. And he said, then I heard that still small voice say to me, this is your ministry. This is what I've called you to. So with the work that Carl's done at, at CR, with the training and equipping he's got there, he's working with the men at returning home down in Springdale, and that's become his ministry. And so between CR, returning home, grandparents as parents, as well as raising their granddaughters in their home, Carl and Cheryl have got a pretty full plate. I say, man, how, how in the world do you do this? And he just says, Scott, we're faithful to what it is God's called us to. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel can't be stopped. The movement that we're all a part of cannot be stopped as long as we're faithful. As long as we're faithful. Will you pray with me as we open the service? Lord, you are extraordinarily more than we could ever ask or imagine. And we are so excited to sit at your feet tonight and worship you. Lord, I pray that you are glorified tonight through our worship. Thank you, Jesus, for tonight and these people, for our church coming to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
the glory of the Lord comes to rest on earth, making all things new as you promised you will do. Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord 
between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my
Father, thank you that though we come broken, your word stands firm and your gospel renews us when we devote to you, when we lay down every burden, every shame, every sin, and we lay them down at the feet of your cross, that you are victorious, that you are a living hope. You're not dead and you're not absent. You're here and you are present and we trust you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. It is so good to be able to worship with you tonight. I was talking to Matt just before uh, we came on stage, and just each of us were expressing what gratitude we had just to be able to gather and lift Jesus up high, to hear his word proclaimed, to hear stories of life change, and simply just to gather as the body of Christ. That is something that I think for most of us, we may spend the rest of our lives and never take for granted and uh, I pray that's something that comes out of this season. Mosaic, tonight we pick up our gospel series, and we're going to be continuing our way to work through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Tonight we're going to be in chapter 3. And as we dive into the text tonight, I want to pose a question to you. When was the last time you felt pulled in a million different directions? Maybe even by asking that question right now, your sense of stress went up. Because you're sitting there going, well, I'm in it right now. I'm in a season where I feel pulled in a million directions. In fact, our family, we barely made it to church tonight. We're pulled in so many different directions. You know, usually in those seasons, we oftentimes begin to seriously doubt our effectiveness. In fact, when we're in a season where we feel pulled in a million different directions, we start to question, is what I'm doing even matter? Am I making a difference in anybody's life? In our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight, the Apostle Paul is going to wrestle with that same dilemma. But we're also going to see tonight in this passage the truth that provides an anchor for our lives even as we doubt and question. And so let's set up the passage before we jump in tonight. There's four big leaders in the New Testament who God used in tremendous ways to take the church to the Gentile world. These men were Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Dr. Luke. These were leaders in the early church, and God used them to plant churches in cities, in Greek cities like Philippi and Thessalonica. In Thessalonica in particular, Several God-fearing Greeks and a few Jews come to know the Lord under Paul's preaching in about the year 49 or 50 A.D. You can read about that story in Acts 17. Under Paul's preaching, this small band of Christ followers immediately faced opposition and persecution right out of the gate. In fact, it grew so intense that Paul and Silas actually had to be smuggled out of the city and their leadership had to disperse in order to avoid persecution. 
These leaders, though, would eventually sort of rendezvous back together in Athens. But rather than just circle the wagons and stick together and hunker down, Paul, as a leader transformed by the gospel, understanding its power, as a selfless servant leader, he begins to teach in Athens and then move on to Corinth. And simultaneously, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the new believers there, and most likely sends Silas back to Philippi. In the midst of all this chaotic movement and ministry, Paul's going to call a timeout. He's going to call a timeout and say, I can't stand it any longer. I've got to know that what I'm doing is not a waste of my time, that I'm not wasting my life. You see, the book of 1 Thessalonians, one thing that's so remarkable about it is it's one of Paul's earliest letters. In fact, probably only Galatians was written earlier than 1 Thessalonians. And so we find the Apostle Paul at a pivotal moment in his own leadership where just like many of us, he's struggling with the fact of, I know God's called me to this, but man, it sure seems fractured. There's so much opposition. I'm proclaiming the gospel. People are accepting it. But is it really sticking? Is it really creating momentum? Is, is there movement occurring? I can't stand it any longer. I've got to know. So let's pick up the story tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to work our way through this incredible chapter. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, there's that phrase again. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. You know, real quickly, if you wanted to outline chapter 3 to just get a big picture of where things are headed, you'll notice that chapter 3 breaks down very easily into a visit, a report, and a prayer. You see, Timothy's visit, as we see in these opening verses, they really had multiple purposes. First of all, Paul was sending Timothy because he couldn't stand it any longer. He had to know an update. How are these new believers doing? It was motivated by Paul's tremendous love that he had for these new believers, knowing they were facing persecution and desperately wanting to know an update. But notice in verse 2, there's a, there's a powerful disciple-making lesson that we can unpack. Notice the language that Paul uses here of why he sent Timothy. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. What's so fascinating about the language used here is Paul's describing one of the reasons he sent Timothy on that visit. Was he's explaining that Timothy is... As he goes, he's to simultaneously help the Thessalonians become anchored in their faith and uplifted. 
It literally is the, the language of he's sending Timothy to go be a tether, to help drive a stake in the ground for these new believers so that they could go deep in their relationship with Jesus, so that they could grow deep in sound doctrine, so that they could understand the fullness and the scope of the Christian worldview, so that every facet of their life could be saturated and transformed by Christ. So he's sending Timothy to help anchor those new believers, but also he's sending Timothy, the, the language is to lift up. And it's incredible to think that in the Christian experience, that as we're following Jesus, our lives are both to be anchored and lifted up at the same time. In fact, I couldn't help but look at verse 2 and, and think of a tool that we've used at Fellowship for years. We call the profile of a leader. You'll notice the fractal there gives a holistic view of what it looks like to be a spiritual leader that knows and expresses the authentic Christ in everyday life. On one side of the fractal, you'll see the, the words of knowledge and skill. That there are certain things that a follower of Jesus needs to know, and there are certain skills that need to be developed in the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus in order to grow in their relationship with Jesus. But on that other side of the fractal, you see the words of character and passion, vision. And this represents the components in a Christian's life where on a daily basis, our character should be refined. In fact, sometimes we use the language of the rough edges of our life should be knocked off. That on a daily basis, will is going down and Jesus is going up as represented in my character, that my heart should be continually pliable and transformed by the empowering presence of Jesus. And at the same time, my love and commitment and passion for Jesus should be going up. And so often when we apply that fractal to our own lives and we begin to chart out our own spiritual growth journey, we can begin to see that, that knowledge and skill Primarily in the life of a Christ follower, we receive those best when people teach us. When someone opens up God's word and proclaims the good news. When someone shows us, gives us the skill of how to study our Bible on our own. How to engage in a vibrant, ongoing prayer life and conversation with God. The skill of how to reproduce and make disciples. Those are primarily best taught by other followers of Jesus. But on that other side of the fractal, when it comes to life change and passion and vision, those primarily, those elements are primarily caught when we hang around other followers of Jesus whose character has been transformed by him and whose passion over the years has grown. And they've discovered God's unique vision for their life and they model that for us. And so here Paul is doing something very similar as he sends Timothy to the Christians there in Thessalonica. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to go strengthen. I want you to teach in order to strengthen these new believers. And I want you to go rub shoulders with those new believers so that they can catch the encouragement of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through your life. Timothy was to go and help those new believers both be anchored and lifted up at the same time. 
you know, Mosaic, this week I'd love to issue you a challenge. What would it look like to meditate on verse 2 here and ask the question, what does it look like if you were a follower of Jesus to step into every environment with the lens of how can I strengthen the people in this context and how can I lift them up? How can I show up at family dinner tomorrow night with the lens of God, would you empower my life in such a way that I could strengthen my family, that I could anchor them in the truth and the personhood and the reality of Jesus Christ and simultaneously lift them up to walk in greater intimacy with him? To be an anchor and an encourager. But we see the third reason for Timothy's visit as Paul's sending him there in verses 3 through 5. That he could be the type of leader that would help these new believers prepare and withstand persecution. You know, I love a quote here by uh, Dr. Marshall, a Scottish New Testament scholar describing persecution and how as followers of Jesus, we actually have a, a responsibility to prepare next generations for what's coming. He says, if a person knows that something unpleasant is a part of their destiny, something that is inevitable, then he will brace himself to meet it and he will not think that it is a sign that he's on the wrong track or being taken by surprise by it. To maybe put it in, in even more common language for a lot of us, how many people in the room or online have floated the Buffalo River before? Show of hands. Okay, how many of you, when you floated the buffalo, at some point or time have tipped over a canoe, lost a cooler, lost paddles, lost a pair of sunglasses, have tipped over in the Buffalo River? Probably most of us, if you floated it, there's come a point where you were likely tipped over and experienced just how cold that water can be. Tonight, I want to give you some, some coaching for the next time that you're on the buffalo. When you're on the river and it becomes inevitable that you're going to strike a rock or a log or any obstruction, the number one thing you must not do is what? Lean away from that obstruction. Every time, 100% of the time, if you're in fast-moving water and you're approaching an obstacle and you and your partner lean the canoe away from that obstacle and cringe and hit that obstacle, I can guarantee you, you will flip over, the canoe will fill with water. But if it becomes obvious that there is no way to avoid that obstacle, and you grab the sides of that boat and get low and go ahead and lean into that obstruction, you've got a far more like greater chance of hitting that obstacle and bouncing off of it and continuing down the river. And Paul here is sending Timothy to those new believers there in Thessalonica, letting them know, hey, the Christian walk, it's not gonna be perfect. It's not gonna be easy. In fact, count on it. You will face persecution. But as Paul is modeling maturity here and modeling the heart of a disciple maker, he's sharing that information with them so that when they face persecution, they will not be caught off guard and caught surprised by it, but rather they can lean into it and trust Jesus 
through it. That brings us to the second part of this chapter. The report that Timothy's going to give back to Paul. In verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see, Timothy here, he really he gives four parts to this report back to Paul. He, he describes the faith of those Christians there in Thessalonica as being genuine, that their love was authentic, that they expressed deep appreciation and gratitude for Paul's leadership. And we also see this element of a desire for renewed fellowship. So again, Mosaic, imagine receiving this news from the perspective of the Apostle Paul who's called a timeout, who says, I can't stand it any longer. I've got to know, how are these new believers doing? And you receive this report. Just imagine the encouragement that Paul must have been experiencing as he realizes his ministry's not wasted. His sacrifices are worth it. The gospel is unstoppable. It's going forth. It's transforming lives. It's continuing to spread even when I'm not physically there. You know, Mosaic, I imagine as Paul received this information and responded back to those believers, I imagine that he needed this message, this idea that the gospel was unstoppable. I imagine that he needed that message just as badly as the people he was writing to. And the fact is, in our own life, every now and then, we're in need of these kind of reminders. We need a glimpse of this reality. I know for me, this idea that the gospel's unstoppable and it goes forth and transforms in spite of us sometimes. I received this reminder about five years ago. My wife Sarah and I were in Little Rock at a, at a leadership conference. And during one of the breaks, I was out in the lobby, bumped into a, a gentleman from India. His name was Sujay. Struck up a conversation. We engaged in some small talk. He began to tell me where he was from in India. Sujay had come to the States, gone to school. He was a hospital administrator for, uh, I believe it was St. Vincent's Hospital in, uh, in Little Rock. And he was attending Fellowship Bible Church there. And as we talked... I told him, I said, you know, CJ, uh, actually my dad, my grandparents uh, were from India, and my dad was actually born there, um, kind of the same part of the country that you're saying that you're from. Uh, and he was very interested, because as, as a side note, what CJ didn't know at the time was that my, my grandparents were, were missionaries in southern India for about 25 or 30 years, through the 40s, 50s, and 60s, had their children there, uh, spent most of their lives and their career planning churches, establishing a seminary, 
that would one day train up other church planters uh, in the area. And so there's just a deep love for that, for that country. And so as Sujay and I were talking and, you know, somewhat playing seven degrees of separation and kind of family history and that kind of thing, there was a critical moment in the conversation where it turned somewhat serious. And Sujay asked me, what is your last name? And I told him, I said, it's Blanchard. And in that moment, Sujay began to get really emotional. And I'm thinking, what happened? You know, what did I say? And I'll never forget, with tears in his eyes, as Sujay said, Will, your grandparents led my parents to Christ in India. And because of that, I was raised in a Christian home and became a Christ follower myself. And it was so cool in that moment as we made that connection, Sujay got his parents on the phone. I actually got my grandmother on the phone who was in her 90s at the time. And we were able to connect those two families who had not seen each other for decades. But it was that realization that we shared in that lobby that day of how the gospel is unstoppable. That it could literally, I, I'm not a demographer. I don't know what the chances are that Sujay and I would, would run into each other. I'm told there's a lot of people that live in India. <laughs> and so I don't know what the chances are that, that Sujay would be in Little Rock, that I would be there. And that generationally there's this, this connection that the gospel would transform. I, I, don't, I don't understand all that. I just know it was one of those reminders that day that the gospel is unstoppable that only the gospel has the power to transform human lives for generations throughout history and to go to the ends of the earth in spite of how weak and frail we are as leaders. And so with this renewed sense of hope, let's study Paul's final prayer in the closing verses of chapter 3. And now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Fellowship Mosaic, I want you to notice here, as Paul is filled with that renewed sense of hope of the gospel's unstoppable, that in his prayer, he doesn't turn around and pray, God, make my friends unstoppable. But rather, Paul's prayer simply asks God to equip the church to be faithful. To be faithful in the midst of persecution. To be faithful even when they are brand new believers in Jesus Christ. To be faithful when so much of the future is uncertain. And then in verses 12 and 13, we're given key marks of what this faithfulness looks like. As Paul describes an overflowing love for each other. And for everyone else. And strong hearts that are capable of producing a blameless and pure and holy life. 
Get this, Fellowship Mosaic. A life impacted by the unstoppable gospel will produce faithfulness in Jesus Christ. You see, we are unable to do that on our own. We can't grit our teeth and through white knuckles say, I will be faithful. But rather, when our lives have been transformed and are being transformed by this unstoppable gospel, the byproduct, the thing that it comes out of that, the thing that is produced is a faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And once again, we're reminded that the gospel is unstoppable and we are called to be faithful. You know, for a lot of families in this season of life, there's very few of us that would describe this season of life and leadership as unstoppable or we're invincible or we're thriving. For most of us, we're trying to figure out this season and it seems to change on a weekly and sometimes daily basis. Especially if we're trying to to teach children at home or, or do virtual school or yeah, it just seems to tend to compound the situation. But to be reminded that we're not called to be perfect parents or perfect families, but we're called to be families that are transformed by the gospel and remain faithful to Jesus. And recently in our family, I was able to capture a moment with our youngest daughter that highlights the faithfulness of my wife as she shapes the lives of three young girls at home. And it involves our three-year-old reciting some scripture that I'm not sure she fully even understands. But as Sarah has had increased time with the girls, they've been memorizing one verse per week. And one night at dinner, I happened to pull my phone out of my pocket as our three-year-old recited the first three verses of Psalm 1. And I share that with you tonight it's just an example of what faithfulness could look like in your home. Let's watch this together. Their weeds never withered, and all they do is prosper. One, one, through two, and through three. Good job. Way to go, girl. Mosaic, I realize that is just one small little win for the Blanchard household. But it's an example of what faithfulness can look like. It doesn't feel in that moment unstoppable. And what we didn't catch on tape were the, the five spankings before bedtime. And yet it's an example in this season of what it looks like to take a step of faith. And to be faithful and trust that God's word and his gospel will go forth and transform lives in ways that we could never fathom or manufacture. You know, in just a moment, Mosaic, the Musgraves are going to come back out. And before they do, I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. But we've asked Johanna tonight if she would share with the body 
the steps of faith that she's recently been called to take, ways that God is at work in their family and how they're leaning into this question of what does it look like to be faithful and to trust that the gospel is unstoppable. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are incredibly grateful for the truth that we've seen tonight in your word. We are so thankful for the fact that you don't call us to be unstoppable. We're frail and we're weak, but Lord, your word and your gospel is unstoppable. And we thank you that you call us to be faithful in response to that. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be a church whose love begins to overflow for the people around us and whose strength is fueled by your empowering presence so that we could live lives that are holy and blameless and are in pursuit of faithfulness. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, my name's Johanna. This is my husband, Matt, and this is our daughter, Edith who recently broke her arm. Uh, and we just want to tell you, I guess, a little bit about what's been going on in our house. So um, I guess the most surprising part of parenting, and there have been many surprising parts of parenting, is that we are on the front lines of our kids' spiritual formations. And that kind of weighed heavy for me a couple years ago, and I felt really convicted about, if I'm going to lead these babies that God has given us, uh, I have to know where I'm going. And so... Um, I started to really lean in <clears throat> to scripture memory a couple years ago, and when I started teaching Edith the alphabet, uh, more for me than it was for her, I uh, decided to choose a memory verse of the week, and that started with that letter of the alphabet, and it was all very strategic and intentional. Um, but I know that I memorize scripture and any, anything really best to music. So when I was teaching the girls the alphabet, I just started coming up with really simple melodies to you know, commit the verses to memory. And then I started hearing them sing it in our house and in the car and putting themselves to sleep at night. And I started to think like, wow, I, I guess I should record these like to get them off my phone and the really bad voice memos that I had recorded in our kitchen. And so uh, Matt got me some recording equipment and I went to my closet, which is the quietest place in our house right now. Um, and so me and my piano and garage band uh, in my closet, we just, I started to kind of put these songs to music and then the vision started to expand and I felt like the Lord was kind of calling me to lean in and be a little bit more brave and more bold and um and I thought if we're gonna record these why don't we like why don't we record these for real and so I did a really scary thing and I talked to Ryan Chola <laughs> for real and said hey what would it take to start to record these um you know really really and he got me started in the right direction and so after a lot of months and time um and working with really cool musicians, we got to step into the studio a couple weeks ago and record these songs for real. So we have 26 scripture memory verse songs uh, that are just about done and almost ready to be released into the world. And it's all really exciting. So um, I just kind of figured that being a student of the word can never be a waste. The, the word of God is always uh, active and powerful and moving. And at the very least, as a parent, uh, what I can do for my kids is teaching them to be students of the word 
and to value the word and to um, love the word of God. So we're going to sing one of these songs that Edith gets to sing with me on the uh, recording. And uh, that's what we're going to do. disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the Now, if, if you say that the gospel is not unstoppable, four years old? Yeah, four years old. If I was doing that in front of y'all and I was four years old, I'd have peed my pants. <laughs> Man. What, what I've noticed about all these stories tonight is that whether it's the Kimbros and coming into Mosaic, and now the way that they share the love and the story of Jesus is with Christ's love. Whether it's with the Blanchards and their girls, the reason the girls want to accept those scriptures is because of the trust and the love that they have for their mom. When it's, when it's with the Musgraves and sharing of the scriptures and wanting to hear those stories is because of the love and the trust that they have for their parents. A saying that we've always had around this ecosystem, around this fellowship orbit, is the gospel travels the road of relationships. It's what this whole thing is built upon. The movement is about relationships. So please, if you are not connected, that is our desire. So we want you to be connected with us so that we can strengthen and encourage you in a deeper walk with Jesus. Um, we would like to ask this of you. Um, I told the gals back and back, you know, I'm a child of the 70s. So I was raised with, with the big fog truck that would drive through town whenever we needed to get rid of mosquitoes. Well, we're going to start bringing those in here in between services to, to get rid of the, the uh, COVID virus, 
okay? So we're just going to fog this place out. So what we need to do is exit out as soon as the service is over. And, uh, but man, we'd love for you guys to stay outside and hang out together and encourage one another. I mean, that's what church is not over. It's not over yet. So please uh, hang out, spend some time together. And I've got one more thing that is really important to talk about, and that's next week, okay? Next week is coming, and for those of you that uh, have been reading along, that's something that we've been encouraging in your uh, disciple-making communities is reading along in 1 Thessalonians. If you've been doing that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, four verses 1 through 8 has, has some very frank and clear uh, conversations about adult material that we're going to be addressing next week. And uh, we're going to have a very frank and clear conversation about those things because we address biblical topics uh, whenever they come up in the scriptures. And that's what we're going to do next week. So some of that might just be adult content. Um, if you've had that discussion with your children and you feel confident and, and you want your children in here, then by all means, we want you to have your children in here. If you're not ready for that, we're going to have a family service in the family center that the Natals will be holding. We are just going to have a normal worship service. So we want everybody to come in here first thing next week. We'll still do our, uh, our announcements, our worship music, all that different stuff. And then the Natals will take... Uh, one parent from a family and the kids that want to go over to the family center to do worship at that time, okay? If you have any questions, please come up and see me, and uh, Joy Stoner's going to tell me anything I've said wrong, and we'll clear all that up. And also, if you have a deep need for prayer after tonight's service, uh, if you want to connect with anybody, I'll put my mask on, and I'd love to talk with you. Hey, Mosaic, let's stand together. All that we've talked about tonight, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.